Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Greetings, welcome to the NASCAR NPC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, here on the Wednesday after the season finale. I'm on camera, but not on camera in the <laughs> traditional way. Parker Kligerman has joined me as my guest. Somewhat. Yeah, uh, go check out Parker Kligerman's YouTube channel for some exciting vlogging <laughs> that I'm uh, unexpectedly We're avoiding maybe calling it a vlog. Yeah, vlog. So normally this would be on camera before NASCAR America. No NASCAR America Motormouths today. So instead... Parker and I are doing this old school. I'm recording solely the audio version of the NASCAR and NBC podcast, which I normally do as like a simulcast sort of thing. But in this case, there will be no on-camera version, just me and Parker in the studio talking it out. Phoenix Raceway, the season finale. Parker was there. I was there. Joey Logano wins the 2022 championship. And this worked out well, Parker, because you had Joey Logano's pit as one of the NASCAR and NBC pit reporters this past weekend. And you noticed it too as well, I'm sure, the swagger, the confidence he had pretty much all weekend, even before he won the pole position. When did you first notice it? When did you see it? I noticed it when I talked to Paul that Wednesday uh, before the weekend. And once I got assigned, I talked to Paul, and I've talked, I know Paul really well. I was a test driver for him on the Xfinity program when he was at Penske with Brad when they first came in together. Um, I was the sec, you know, like the backup driver. I did all the practice and qualifying when Brad couldn't make it with Paul. So I've known Paul really well. And I did, I was their test driver when they won the championship in 2012 on the two car, no light car. So I know Paul and I know how on edge he can be. And when I spoke to him for 30 minutes on Wednesday, it was just like when we won Vegas, we went to work on Phoenix the next day, and I'm telling you, Parker, we are prepared. And he just kept saying, we are prepared. And I'm just like, all right, he doesn't usually say that, right? Like, it just he just kept really leaning into that. And then I saw Joey's comments at media day, and it was like, oh, these guys are – they've beaten everyone before, you know, they've shown up. And yeah. it just mentally you could tell that they were just – in a different space than the others and their confidence was booming. And so I just thought that continued until I interviewed Joey for qualifying and well, actually I'm going to go back to practice. I saw they weren't as good. Maybe they were, they were good on the long run. You could see it, but they weren't as good. Maybe as the nine or the one. And then the 12 car though was a rocket ship in practice. If you remember. And I thought, huh, they talk about being prepared, doing all the stuff. The 12 cars been knocked out. I wonder if the 12 cars, you know, got something different. So, of course, it did a little bit. And then on the next day, I interviewed Joey before he goes and qualifies. I said, what would you be satisfied with? What helps you towards this, uh, you know, win this championship? And he said, first, I'm going to win the poll. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's confidence. What does he do? He wins the poll. And then I was told that the two setups between the 12 and the 22 were almost very similar. And I have to think that was a little bit of the 12 was set up in a way, just trying something in practice that they saw and liked because Joey and him, Paul talked about it forever after practice, and which I saw. And so it just kept building until I was like – and I think it was in most of my reports before the race and when we did reports during the race. I was like, this team has mentally been the champion since – you know, since Tuesday. Right. And it's up to everyone else to take this championship from them. And no one rose up. I noticed it right away on media day as well. I was in the NBC room and asking questions of each of the four championship contenders as they came in and no disrespect to Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, Ross Chastain, but the demeanor, the body language, the way he answered the question, Joey Logano just, he was in a, on a different plane than these guys. It was, yeah. it's, it's hard to explain, but just the first question we asked each of these guys was, 
what does it mean to be here and to have this opportunity in the race for the championship? Something you'd normally expect a driver to answer. Ah, oh, it means the world. You know, this is what we're all building for. Everybody gave that answer except for Joey. Who's, Joey's answer was, it means nothing. And that was how he started the interview. And then, like, there were like five other people in the interview. And everybody's like, ears perked up. And it's just like, what's happening here? And he just continued to parlay this. And I don't think he was playing mind games the way we've seen Tony Stewart do yep. with Carl Edwards in 2011, or Kevin Harvick has done it with several drivers, not just in the playoffs, but just in general. But he definitely took advantage of the fact. I mean, he said Sunday night after he won the race in the championship that I could tell that some guys were just happy to be here. And obviously there are two guys who had been there making their first appearance, Christopher Bell and Ross Chastain. How did you, I mean, because you're aware of that, you're a driver, you're going to be a full-time Xfinity Series driver again next year. You're aware of those mental games get played. How do you think Joey Logano kind of used those edges? Because he doesn't do it in a real overt way like other yeah. guys do, but clearly he took some confidence from it. Yeah, I, I think he just leaned into like, I know exactly what to do. I've been here before. I've done it. I've got two of them beat on that fact. And I believe I have a faster, better car than the nine. Which, they, you know, Penske also believe that short tracks have been a strength for them this year. And that Paul mentioned that and that he and Joey were really confident about their package on the short tracks. Which they consider, you know, Phoenix maybe is a little bit of a hybrid, but they consider it a short track package. So... I think it wasn't, like you put it, it wasn't mental games. It wasn't like, you know, ribbing of the others and like poking fun or even focusing on it. It was like they don't even exist. Right. Like, that was the other thing. It was like, it was just, I'm so confident there is not three others here. Yeah. Like, I, never even, I don't even know who you're talking about. Yeah. You could put Dale Earnhardt, David yeah. Pearson, Bobby Allison there. I'm still going to win the championship. Wouldn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't, I guess we're here. We're going to be the best. We are the best team. They made the pit crew change, replacing their jackman, Braxton Brandon, who had been with Paul since he'd been in Cup. Braxton, I've known Braxton forever. He, Graham Stoddart was put in that position. They did that right before Martinsville. They went from being eighth on average to having the fastest pit crew via their, their numbers at Martinsville. So that was another confidence booster. So they walked in there with what they felt like would be the fastest car, which they proved to be, besides maybe them or the 12, but their team, Penske, was the fastest team at Phoenix. They have the most confident driver who says he knows exactly what to do and how to drive that place. In 2020, the championship they got away. Another part of it, right, where he felt like he was the best. And you got a pit crew that they feel like is the fastest pit crew. In yeah. a race where the only thing Paul Wolf said to me he was worried about was the pits and the variables around that. And he said, that's the only way we lose. That was another quote. The only way we lose this championship is that we screw up with the pits. They felt like they had everything ready, prepared, and obviously they had that time. And so, you know, Joey called Vegas the most important race, you know, of the season besides Phoenix. When I was having the first meetings of my team for Xfinity this week, I sat down with our GM and everyone, and I said, hey, look, this is how I look at things, blah, blah. And I said, by the way, Vegas, that's the most important race of the year. Like, when we get to the playoffs or anything, I was like, that, I'm telling you, I know, I've seen this now from the TV side multiple times. What that allows these teams to do is unbelievable. And put aside just the mental side of you're all prepared, you're doing things. Think about the 20, Christopher Bell, who gets through at Martinsville, then Monday morning has to be like, oh my gosh, we're running for a championship. There's no way they're going to be as prepared. Right. In an era where the car is all the same, it comes down to your people, execution, preparation. So I just think they have them beat that way. And two things to follow up on there. One, the pit crew changed because you mentioned that mm -hmm. Jackman had been with Paul Wolf since he'd been a cup crew chief, which yeah. would have been 2011. I mean, more than 10 years. Yeah, they've been together a long time. It was a very emotional change for, for Paul. Yeah. yeah that tough. seems like a really significant, I want to say risky, but to make that change with two races that go in the season when you're locked in the championship four and you mm -hmm. don't want to disrupt that chemistry, but obviously it worked. Graham came from the 12 car. You know, it just worked. And Paul talked about it a little bit after I asked him after the race. We did our interview on the post-race show. It was my second question was, hey, you know, your picture was flawless. They never made a single mistake. When it counted, they got you out where you need to be. You know, that's exactly what you'd ask from pit crew. But, you know, going into this, you guys had to make a change. It was a tough change, and he got very emotional about it. You know, in terms of just Braxton meant is a friend of his and someone he's had a lot of success with and won a prior championship. And so, but he was like, you know, we just got to do what's best for the team, and a change had to be made. So it's tough. And you mentioned that Logano had said, so the most important race before Phoenix was that Vegas win. And that is interesting to me, Parker, because, like, I get – the rationale behind it. I get the logic behind it. We've certainly seen there have been other instances where the guy who wins what was then the opening round of eight race at Martinsville would win the championship. You know, Logano did it in 18. Yep. Jimmy Johnson did it in 16. But I guess I sort of fell for the narrative that the next gen might alter this equation because 
teams aren't building their cars. You don't have as much opportunity to maybe tailor make your car to, to Phoenix. But I guess it doesn't really matter in a sense because it's still just, if you can just spend that much time just on setup stuff, forget about having autonomy over the entire car, it still makes a difference. And even just preparation of like how you tackle the weekend. Right. And how you, you know, what do you start doing sim wise? You could start two or three weeks ahead of everyone's working on sim. You know how it correlates really well. You can start working on the idea of one of your teammates is going to run this alternate setup idea that you can't run because they're not going to be a part of it. You know, like I just think those things compound where I know you can't build your own stuff right now, but it's then it comes down to the tiny things, right? Because everyone's running the damn same lap time. It's such minute, small things that can make huge differences. Yes, it's different maybe in how you get an advantage, but I think the advantage is the same, if that makes sense. It you, does. You can't yeah. build the car differently anymore. Like you could three or four years ago, you would build a double throw down Phoenix car. You know, maybe it's got some sort of weight distribution difference or something you've done different. And now, yeah, you can't do that, but it's the small stuff that adds up to create the same gap. Exactly. And that's where it makes a lot of sense to me. It's, it's counterintuitive to think about it first, but it kind of goes to this broad industry-wide NASCAR discussion we've had in recent years about it as the cars have become more common or whatever, mm -hmm. and they're working in smaller and smaller areas. If you can find the edges in those smaller areas, it's actually going to mean like a bigger advantage. So the next gen, in a sense, maybe it does limit the areas that teams are working on to just yeah. set up suspension stuff. But the stuff I'm sure that Paul Wolf and the 22 found the other teams probably weren't going to be able to find in the time they had to be prepared because nobody locked in before Martinsville yeah. was the other thing. Yeah. So Joey Logano said that he was treating this like the most important race of the year, Phoenix. And every other driver we talked to tried to pass it off as just another race. And I think this was another advantage for Logano. Those media day interviews, he was saying, hey, this is not just another race. You have to treat this as if it's the biggest race of the year. I know you didn't have Chase Elliott Christopher Bell, Ross Chastain, but did you see things from those drivers that indicated, especially in the case of Bell and Chastain being in the championship round for the first time, that maybe they were a little bit overwhelmed or kind of trying to find their footing up until race day? You know, I, I didn't particularly notice anything uh, that stood out to me. You know, I, I look for that in practice often where I notice, you know, where I've won a race and the next week all the eyes are on you or it's the, you know, I've been in a championship fight before where, you know, things start to sort of, the focal point starts to point at you a little bit. And, you know, there's more tension, there's more cameras around you, so on and so forth. And at the championship week, you know, I love that practice because you've never seen more cameras, more reporters, more yeah. people around those four cars during practice and fans lining behind. But when I saw Ross walk out and, you know, I look for like, their body language. I've seen years where I can't. It was a couple years ago where Denny looked so stiff. Or I was like, I was like, he's beat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that. I didn't. I mean, Denny. I mean, Denny was my pick to win the championship this year. He's always same here. He's, always will be. It's always his year until it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I think Denny. If he doesn't win one, he'll go down right there with Mark Martin, one of the greatest drivers to never win a championship. But yeah, so I look for all that stuff. I didn't see anything that really stuck out, you know. And, and Ross looked. Pretty laid back. The track house team has had so much attention on them. I think they were used to it. It was just another thing. You know, I didn't see anything particular at practice. He went P1 right off the bat. I mean, he shows preparation, showing up, you know, just knew how to rip a lap off right away. So to go to your answer to your question, no, I didn't see anything. The one instance in which we saw championship contenders get together during this race was Ross Chastain and Chase Elliott. Yep. And I thought it was interesting how both reacted to it. Chase replayed it, it seemed like, over and over again in the car. He was asking his team on the radio, did I do anything wrong? And then afterward, despite many questions and much prompting, he sort of refused to take a stance on it. He eventually said that he thought what Ross had done was unnecessary, but yeah. he didn't really blame him. And Chastain was very much the way Ross is all the time. Like, I saw a gap, I took it, and <laughs> he moved down too late. Like, yeah. sorry, don't come across my nose when I'm trying to pass you on the inside. That's on you. How did you see that incident? So I actually think the incident itself is kind of 50-50. Just like the way that all is designed and the restart and the dog leg and the angles, I feel like what Chase was doing was what everyone had done all, all three races all weekend. Where Ross had done was pretty normal. I think particularly maybe you could say like, hey, when he's coming across you like that, some guys would be like, hey, let's just lift here for a second. Your discretion is the better part of our. He just sort of plowed through it or even tried to steer left a little bit, you know, to avoid him hitting him. But he didn't do that either. He just kind of <laughs> held his ground. Yeah. That's Ross. So I could see that a little bit. I think, you know, you, you still would have had contact, but you probably could have had a result where the nine doesn't spin across his nose. The other thing that was interesting was how the one was there. Because how early it was in the restart, 
so we do a, a competition call of NASCAR every Sunday morning before the broadcast. And, you know, there was that close call between Ty Gibbs and with Riley Herbst there where he kind of went below before the line. Right, right. And it was sort of a judgment call, and they admitted it is a judgment call, and they admitted that because of the how that's odd an angle, and it's sort of awkward how that works at Phoenix, where the start-finish line is, it's got to be a judgment call because it can't be other places where it's sort of straight, and there's a line right there, and so if you go below that line, you're obviously out of bounds because the other thing is that he's like, you know, because there's a shortcut, you're supposed to reference off the cars in front of you and not break a plane to the left by before the start-finish line. But because the cars in front of you could be taking the track, or one car's taking the track and one's diving below the right after the start-finish line, it's really tough to tell who's breaking the rule or not, of, you know, basically going left too early. So those restarts become so important, it's hard to pass at that place. I think there's something there that NASCAR maybe has to look at about that, this particular track, because what we saw there is only going to get worse if we don't do something to stop it. Because I, I wonder, I haven't replayed or looked at it, but I wonder when the one turned down. If that makes sense. Yeah, but it does. How did he get to the nine? Why was I mean, he's he a great restarter? He's got a he is great restarter. The next gen car, though, I will say this is fairly easy to put power down and get through the gears. So you don't have a mischief. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, was the nine already crowding to the left? Then he cut even lower. Like, there's all those questions, and I, I have to replay it. I, I mean, we probably could bring it up, and I could give you a better answer on this. I just that was something that crossed my head of just like, huh? But why was he there? Yeah, if you want to, if you want to, <laughs> yeah, let me up. look it up. Where? Here we go. I found it. So Chase Elliott's back in the third row. Ross is in the fourth row. They're both on the bottom. We start the 24 William Byron's in front of the nine. So the nine's staying in line with the 24. Okay, so he, Ross. All right, so he didn't go till after the line. Yeah, so no. In that case, it's 50-50 and possibly, oh, well, he does kind of go a tick for him. <laughs> <laughs> It's he, Ross Chastain. Of course he's going he starts, a little bit early. He starts turning left a little bit before the line. So that's the question. And I was watching this yesterday. I was thinking about it in terms of Chase Elliott was saying about it. And when I went back and looked, he was the highest-ranked championship car at this moment. I think he was running fifth, mm. and I believe Logano was sixth, and Chastain was eighth. So I wonder, I don't know if Chase Elliott had been this high in the standings at this point, and this was the beginning of the, just of the final stage. Yeah. He just he, They kind of played strategy to put him in this position. I wonder if he was, at that point, just set on, I've got to do everything I can to maintain position. I can't give up positions. Yep. And maybe he didn't get enough of a reminder that, hey, Ross Chastain is behind you, and he might be coming like a freight train on this restart, and if he is, there's still 120 laps to go. Maybe don't force the issue. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very valid very valid point. And, and he just sort of reacted. Chase Elliott did. For Chase, I wonder if there's, you know, he plays that and thinks, you know, I probably would just wand off in the corner and fought him off through the corner, you know, instead of trying yeah. to block down the left. But, I mean, it also could have been one of those things where he didn't have the fastest car. He knows he doesn't have the fastest car. He's got put in this position where if he can just stay in front of them, all his championship contenders, maybe for some way this all works out where he's they get dirty air and can't ever get by him. I think this could potentially be some of the thought process of like, I've got to keep this track position, which right. is why you make the move down to block. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking yeah. too. All right, so as I mentioned, we're a few days after the race. I don't want to diminish several things that occurred. Of course, the tragedy involving Coy Gibbs and how Christopher Bell and the Joe Gibbs Racing Teams gamely raced through despite yeah. that news. And of course, Kyle Busch's final start. A lot happened in this race, but we were a few days past it. So I wanted to spend a little bit of this podcast looking ahead. And we're going to talk a little about 2023 and next gen for next season. But before we get to that, Parker, I just want to put a bow on Joey Logano and winning his second championship. Interesting discussion on Jeff Gluck's podcast earlier this week about how many championships does Joey Logano win? Joey Logano is 32 years old when he wins his second championship. Same age as Jimmy Johnson when he won his second championship. Oh, wow. Which came under slightly different circumstances. Jimmy Johnson won four races in a row at the end of the 2007 season. He won 10 races that year. It was a much more dominant year, and it was year two of his five-year run of cup yeah. championships. But as I was listening to Jeff's podcast, and Jeff and I have texted a little bit, like, I feel like Joey Logano here is poised. I mean, this was year one of Next Gen. They bookend the season with victories. He and Paul Wolf seem to really get this car. They're very good at adapting. I feel like I could see a couple more cup championships here in the near term for Joey Logano. What do you think? Yeah, I don't see any reason why not. I just I asked the question. I was thinking about this, who was good this season, and who sort of rose up, and how many winners we had, and all that sort of thing. And I thought, why would that change? <laughs> <laughs> why would that change at all next year? Like, why would anything be different, right? Like, the car is changing a little bit, you know, with some of the 
modifications for safety and that sort of thing. And I'm sure there'll be tweaks to it here and there and other tweaks made as we try to make the short track racing better and road courses and that sort of thing. But I'm like, if you were good, you're only going to build on that. It's not like the the rule change is going to be as massive as a redesign in Formula, like in Formula 1 where they go to an entirely different set of regulations, right? It's just not going to be that big. So I don't know. It's a really interesting question. The only thing I'd say is like, would I bet on championship four appearances? Seven more? Yeah, sure. Would I bet on five more championships? Oof. Because it's so hard when it's, it's just a winner take it's all. It's just a winner take all. Like yeah. I just I my team, you're talking about and I was like, you know, success to us is being in the championship four. Championships, yeah, we're going for it, but it's like you can't feasibly until you get further in the season, like you were Joey was, you can't start a year thinking like I guess you could. I guess he said he did. He started the year saying he would win a championship. So I don't know. <laughs> what do I know? I should probably cha- I could talk to him about the mental side of this because I'm getting back into it. To say, yeah, you know what? I'm starting this year saying I'm gonna be the champion and let's go. Right. So do I think all the things aligned for him to do that talent and work ethic and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's multiple championships. And if it was any other format, I would put money on it. But yeah. this format's a tough one to say that. And we have heard that from other championship veterans. I mean, I feel like I've heard Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, who have made multiple championship appearances. But I think between the three of those guys, I don't know how many championship appearances they've had. Championship four appearances. I mean, probably at least double digits. And there's mm-hmm. only three championships among them. And that speaks to the fact that, yeah, I think it's more of a goal to make the championship four than to win the title. And yes, it was more of a Joey Logano, hey, 22 and 22. And he was certainly playing off, you know, confidence of, of coming in with a new year, a new car, a new year. But wait, you just made me remember something. There was a, a nice young fan who came up to me at Phoenix and said on practice day, he's like, hey, do you know no one has ever won the championship on the year of their car number? <laughs> I think I saw that stat. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And so he's like, Do you think Joe Agato can break it? And I turned to him and I said, Well, he was my pick, so I think so. And then 22 and 22. So I was like, yeah. Oh, he did it. So I was thinking yeah. of that kid uh, on Sunday. I don't know where he is or who he was, but you were right, kid. Maybe this championship was just meant to be numerically. Yeah. But it feels to me like if this, and we know this championship race is going to stay in Phoenix next year. Obviously, Joey and this team seem to be really good at Phoenix, and he just seems to be. I don't think you would want to face Joey Logano in the championship four right now. It just seems like he and his team really... I mean, you said it. like They still feel like they should have won the title in 20. Mm-hmm. And this was championship appearance number five for them. They've won two championships. They really could have three if... Well, I mean, really, they could have four. If 20 and 2016, the Carl Edwards restart, if that breaks a different way... I just feel like, aside from his first time in the championship four, every time Joey Logano gets in the championship four, he's... He's going to be there. He's there. He's going to be a top two, for sure. Also, I got one person I would put in why he would be able to achieve this or why not would be Paul Wolf. And that I believe Paul Wolf has been the level of a Chad Knaus or now at Adam Stevens getting two championships himself. You know, now two different drivers is pretty impressive and two different, entirely different formats. But I think Paul is one of the, you know, easily best crew chiefs in the sport. And he has a serious drive and intensity that as long as he keeps that up and is driven and he and his driver are now aligned at two championships so they can both look at each other and say, hey, let's go get three. You know, let's go get four. I yeah. think, yeah, that that is a powerful thing where they're aligned and they could do this together and achieve those championships all the way through. He kind of masks that intensity and drive that he mm. has. I mean, we saw that our cameras caught him right after Joey won the race and he didn't even celebrate Paul Wolf. He was just sort of like had yeah. this quiet smile on his face. Well, he is subdued, but you got to see him when he's when he's in the mode of the working. <laughs> when I saw them, when they, we, we were coming down towards end of stage two and the fuel situation was going on, yes. he had his phone out. He was looking at his engineer. He's hitting him on the shoulder like, hey, 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 Blake, check this out. It was wild. He has an intensity. It's just, yeah, it's definitely more subdued. He's a quieter person, but definitely intense. If he had his phone out, but that must have been when he was saying he was texting, texting Rodney, Rodney Childers. Yeah, probably. What probably what it was. was. Hey, man, what do you think? We think we can make it to the end here? <laughs> so you mentioned something interesting there, Parker, about the future. You said, you know, why would things change? Which that strikes me as potentially bad news for a Martin Truex Jr. who didn't win this year, or Kyle Busch certainly struggled. Now he goes to a new team. Harvick won twice and had a first-round flameout that was kind of beyond his control, but he seemed to struggle a lot with the next-gen car. Do you think it's going to be tougher for the veterans to kind of regain their mojo in year two of next-gen? I just don't think you're going to see anyone dominate. I think this trend of for two weeks, this team's on it. For two weeks, this team is on it. For two weeks, this driver's on it. Like, I just think that thing is going to continue because it's so tight. And you you just have to look at these lap times on a green flag run at any given track 
and the the car in 29th sometimes if you just put it in second place it would run in second place like it's just that tight and so it's just such small things are going to make massive differences there's going to be small things that teams find for two or three weeks that really work during that period for whatever reason and then the next team is going to find it and so on and so forth and i just don't see a reason as to why anyone one will become dominant i don't see a reason as to why anyone will find a lasting advantage I don't see a reason as to, you know, why any group could get stuck failing in any respect, other than, you know, obviously engine-wise in terms of, like, what Toyota had with engine failures. But, yeah, I think, you know, like Martin Truex Jr., we say he struggled, but, I mean, he dominated New Hampshire. He had that one easy if they just decided to He had four or five races strategy. he could have won, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, Harvick won two races. You know, when they got hot, he was hot. You saw 19 winners. You almost saw 20, and I don't see any reason. I, that's what I what I mean by say the same is that some you know might believe like oh we'll start to see a hierarchy develop and that sort of stuff. But I'm like, why? What are you going to find that an organization 10 spots back in the points isn't eventually going to find, or that information will circulate, or how far away can a team get? I don't know. I just don't know why it would be. Why this wouldn't continue when you have so many organizations spending so much to you know figure out the same problem? So even if the powerhouses do spend the off season developing all this stuff and they go into Fontana, maybe Phoenix with a little bit of an edge, yep. within a couple of weeks that edge is gone. The regression of the mean like has its limits here, where the powerhouses sort of reestablish themselves. I, I I think so, and I think you know what's big nowadays. It's simulation, sim correlation, how those two line up. You know, it's the resources you're getting from the manufacturer. That is one area where there will be a bit of a hierarchy where, say, I think it's front row with Ford doesn't get the, the wind tunnel data, right? Because they're not on a full Ford deal or, or something like that. And so, like, that, because everything comes from the manufacturer, could create a hierarchy amongst those teams that would, you know, sort of be a glass barrier of some respect, or glass ceiling. But I still struggle with that because I'm like, how much can that really give you? If like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like if front row still has the best season of all time for them this past year. So it's just like, how much is that really worth? And if, if it's a half a tenth, yes, it's big. But if you take that half a tenth and you have a bad pit stop and you put that car in twenty eighth, and you take the car that was running twenty eighth and you put them up in second, what's going to make them fall back to twenty eighth? I don't know. If it's only half a tenth difference in speed. And the reason that you said that teams find things and they might last for like two weeks. The reason they only last for two weeks were in the past might have been four weeks or six weeks. Is it just because pre-next gen, it would be sort of like this proprietary thing. Like they, yeah. they build something and it takes a while for teams to figure out how to build that and put it into their build process and get it on the cars. And now 100%. it's just like, it's just short term. Like we're just finding setup tricks and anybody can find them. I have to believe it's that. I huh. have to, I just don't understand otherwise how it's not that. Like how, you know, yes, in the past you built a better truck arm, you built a better right. chassis, rear clip design that takes months to you know implement then weeks to manufacture so on and so forth you have to be thinking about this ahead of time and how that correlates to your sim and so on and so forth and now it's just like well it's it's all the same shape and piece and parts and pieces and now we just have to figure out how to put the puzzle together differently like and is there you know does the tire get changed that could create a whole different change you know it's those little things that yes will create that but i think 100 percent you're spot on where you know it's no longer car design and pieces that are it's just figuring out the puzzle and all of this now is happening pretty much in the sim world yes. happening outside of the real world environment and we were having a little bit of an interesting discussion that i think i'll bring into the podcast before we got started <laughs> we were talking about this how do we put cars on track more often? Like, I feel like you have some good ideas here that I'll let you share. Well, yeah, and the, the context of this is that there's a running joke amongst many in this sport right now. The one I've been using lately, and I've been doing two days of sim testing up in Welcome with my team getting started on 2023 and trying to help me understand how these cars drive, what the sim is like, what they were successful with, you know, just sort of lining me up with that and starting to get a head start. But with that, the joke is we don't drive race cars anymore. Like, we don't start engines. We don't, and everyone makes a joke, like, it's too expensive to, and it, I guess, yes, like, you know, when people say, like, how much more can we cut, right? Like, I think Denny Hamlin said, like, we can't cut anymore. We don't even drive cars anymore. We literally don't. Like, we don't drive race cars. And, like, I was, like, I was trying to explain it. So, and imagine in, uh, in golf, they were like, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot play golf today. Like, don't you only dare. Only golden tee. Yeah, only yeah. golden tee. You can't don't play you dare now. swing a club. If you swing that club, that's illegal. It'll be a $100 million fine. That's where we're at. We're yeah. like, we're literally at this point where it's like, 
don't you dare drive a race car. <laughs> With somewhat good intentions, right? With good I mean, intentions. And, I, and <laughs> I get it. I was a big advocate of, uh, and maybe this is careful what you wish for, of like, why are we practicing so much? I hated wind tunnels. I thought all this stuff was just crazy. What are we doing, right? We're all just running in circles, burning fuel and tires for no reason. And I get that. And I get now seeing the other side where I feel like there's a little bit lost from the weekends of not having cup cars on track three days of a weekend. I, I see that. I feel it. I feel it in the atmosphere of the places. And then I, you know, as a, just as a driver, I just sometimes just, I want to go drive a race car. You know, like, yeah. It's natural I, feeling, natural yeah. inclination. And I guess, have. you know, you have a Kyle Larson's and William Byron's who are going to drive other stuff and everything, and that's cool, and maybe we can figure out a better way to harness that and create that, make more content. But it's sometimes, like, I just want to go drive my Xfinity car. Like, I want to go test it. I want to go do something with it. I want to, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, why why can't I drive right. the car? You know, right. <laughs> like, why do I have to wait right. to be in a competitive atmosphere to drive it? So, you just spitballing with you here, and I'm like, what if we came up with, like, Wednesday Charlotte test sessions? Or in Formula 1, they have young driver tests. They have these runs down city streets. What if we all took old cars and went and did some city exhibition things? I don't know. My point being, <laughs> just to, to actually physically turn steering wheels and press gas pedals and hear engines roar. Like, I just... It's so funny because it's been a great thing for the sport, and I'm. Sh- it's been awesome for the competitive side, and everyone knows who's listened to me for the last 10 years wants the parity that we saw, wants the playing field to be equal, wants the financial side of this to work and make more sense and not be this just open free-for-all that just you know turns into a complete resource fest. I use that term sometimes in my truck team where I'm like, hey, don't worry about this qualifying. It's a resource fest. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, that <laughs> bl- blows my mind sometimes. Right? I just get so frustrated. Where it's like, if you just spend more money, you'll go faster. Cool. Thanks. That's fine. <laughs> like, what are we doing? So yeah. I love where we've done and where we're going and where this is, but it's just like, okay, time out. Wait. So how do we, how do we put race cars on the racetrack for content reasons? You know, that's my other thing. Like, I don't particularly care personally as a driver like i can learn a lot from a sim and drive a car and correlate it really well and i've done this long enough that i don't need that time in the car to figure it out but and maybe that's a little advantage to me being you know a veteran at this point of understanding how to drive race cars but from a content perspective i would love to be able to film more content with the race cars like i'd love to be able to have test sessions with gopros again and you know cool stuff we can put on social and 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 maybe, maybe there's a fun way to do that in the midweek, especially the Cup Series, maybe the older cars, whatever, that we can create better, more content. Like you were saying earlier, can't. the Formula One concept of year-old test cars or whatever. I think it's called the, the one-year-old test car program. Yeah, they do the filming thing, right? And Colton Herta got a chance to drive an F1 car and really impress a lot of people That's right. th- this it's year. That's right. Because he was just driving like a year-old car. And I guess it's a little bit tricky with next-gen, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I love your idea. Like, Maybe NASCAR could create some concept where they did have a one-day thing, Tuesdays and Wednesdays or whatever, at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and they had a set number of cars, and teams could just send drivers and skeleton crew of team members work yep. but not in a way that would benefit the, I know that's I'm saying? a tough like, part. Yeah. But like, yeah. I love your idea of content too because I think it would be it would kind of solve that riddle a little bit and I think drivers would be more enthused about hey I can go out and I'll do media on the day where I can make some laps yep. in the car, right? Yep. If that's the reward. We all want, you know, Justin Marks wants, you know, 850 horsepower back or whatever. What about this? What if we just took the old cup cars which have turned into Xfinity cars, but we all know how to build them and what to do with them and whatever. And like, hey, you know what? On Wednesday, we're going to do an open test session. Bring a 1,000 horsepower. Do whatever you want. Wednesday opens. We'll just do (laughs) like once a month. (laughs) Cup teams get to just bring like the fastest car they can possibly build in the old car. I don't know. This is stupid as hell. But I, <laughs> everyone's like, you're an idiot. And it'll cost, everyone will spend way too much money, and it'll be the dumbest thing ever. But, like, what if we did that? We just live-streamed on YouTube, and, and yeah. everyone had GoPros, and it was just fun. Co- and, like, I don't know. I just think, like, <sighs> racing, I've gotten to the point where I feel like race cars should be cartoonish. Like, sometimes, and I'm very serious about racing, but sometimes I feel like it's suit overly serious. Race cars are cartoonish. They should be extreme of everything you think of as a, as a mechanical thing. Like, it should race crazy. It should sound insane. It should look crazy. It should look cool. Yeah. It should go fast. It should do all those things because, like, what's the point otherwise? We're just here to entertain. I mean, Ross Chastain's Martinsville Miracle. That was I a cartoonish. Drove that point home, right? And that was awesome. <laughs> the and most it was viral huge. moment NASCAR had all year. It was absolutely massive. Nitro Rallycross, they fly him through the air. Yeah. Why do they jump in the air? 
I don't know. It's cool. Like it doesn't have any reasoning or any sort of relation to anything. It just sort of is. Why does that happen? It's cool. Why do Formula One cars have a thousand horsepower and create ten bajillion pounds of downforce? Because they go really fast. It's like, oh, that's cool. Okay, thanks. Why do they look insane? I don't know. They look cool that way. I don't know. Like sometimes I just want to. I want someone who's ten years old to look at the sport like I did, which is like, man, that looks fun. Like, and that, that goes to the, the financial stuff. Like, I, I just feel like sometimes I'm really into it and all this budget caps and all this stuff. But sometimes I'm like, man, like, that doesn't sound fun to, the, to a right. 10-year-old kid. Like, he should think this is the coolest thing. Just It's all about just going fast. It's Talladega Nights. That's where I get to where, like, we could probably – we could do stuff that if we just allowed ourselves to take it a little less seriously and just do cool – that where everyone would get excited. The drivers would be excited. The engineers would be excited. The owners are excited. The sponsors are excited. The media rights holders are excited. Everyone's excited. Just make it fun. Just yeah. don't lose sight of that purity. I love that idea. Uh, all right, now that we've solved, we all solved all the problems. <laughs> that was a very, that was a perfect off season, like in, yes. like uh, yeah. existential. This is the content people breakdown. are coming to the NASCAR and NBC podcast for on <laughs> November tenth. I feel confident about this, but I want to close on my favorite topic, which of course is your racing career. Oh God! So you just came down here. You said from a day with your new team, you're running a full time. Xfinity Series season in 2023. Mm-hmm. I've barely had a chance to talk to you about it aside from congratulate you on it. So I don't know a lot about it. And this is my opportunity to ask you, tell me what's ahead for Parker Kligerman next year. Yeah. So racing full-time the Xfinity Series for Big Machine Racing, Big Machine Vodka Spiked Coors, and Scott Borchetta, who's the owner and founder of Big Machine, and Patrick Donahue, who's the crew chief, Keith Barnwell is the GM. This is the team that called me after I won Mid-Ohio and basically said, hey, would you like to come do Talladega? And I said, yes. And then it went really well, and Scott turned to me and said, would you be interested in doing this full-time? And I said, yes, as long as we have the same goals. He's like, what do you mean by that? I was like, well, you know, if I do this, I want to do it 110%, and I want to go for a championship. And he's like, that's 100% what we want to do. And, you know, we're, really, we're putting the resources behind it, and they're full-on, you know, RCR affiliation. We're right across the street from RCR. It's great, you know, championship-level equipment and, you know, putting the right people in place and, and expanding the organization and, and that sort of thing. And that's already just in the couple of weeks I've been a part of it, I've seen that. So that's really exciting. And I hope that I can be a very integral part to, you know, helping that, that ascent in a lot of ways. And I think all the parts and pieces are there. And the last two days were kind of my first days of work. So, you know, Jimmy Johnson posted he was going to work for the first time at GMS, which I then had to follow. My first day was also the first same day. And, you know, basically I went to the team a couple weeks ago, after we got started, I said, hey, look, I want to, just after Phoenix, I want to jump in the sim. I want to start working on what you guys had success with this past year, which Nick Sanchez finished the season in the 48, did a wonderful job. That kid, you know, was really on it. Um, I think he has an amazingly bright future as a driver in this sport, uh, just from the little bit I saw paying attention to the 48 car. But I wanted to be able to take some of those races. They won Texas with Tyler Reddick earlier this year. They ran well with Ross Chastain. You know, and sort of say like, "Hey, where were you guys successful? What did he? What did those cars feel like? What was the setups like? That sort of thing." And sort of so I could start to correlate in my mind through the off season how they've approached racing, how I approach racing, what my feedback is, that sort of thing. So we did two days yesterday afternoon and this morning. You know, it was really fruitful. I felt like and working with my engineer Cody McKenzie, a great dude, and yeah, I just. It's so surreal because it still doesn't fully feel real. I went and did my racing suits measurements with Sparco because I'm getting those again. I've got belt helmets. I went over there. I was like, man, this is so surreal, but also like so exciting. And yeah. I'm, so, so I'm so excited about the most mundane things. Like <laughs> we're, we're doing a lot of cool stuff for our cars. We're doing them just over the off season, building new cars, but then just getting to go to the sim for four hours and just work on a plan of like how you get better and what we're working on towards and trying to figure out like there's some rule changes happening. Okay, what are those going to do to affect the cars? And like, it's very mundane, but it's very exciting because this is stuff I just haven't gotten to do being the guy who jumps around to all these different teams and does part-time stuff for the last couple of years. So it's an amazing experience so far and it's only two days in. And I'm very pumped. You know, I'm also as excited as I am. I'm trying to stay like very grounded to just be like, this is happening. It's for real. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not all going to be roses. You know that there's no, no, no one that has 33 weekends that are perfect. Right. And I've been given a 
past over the years of being part-time where I'm not racing for a championship. I'm not racing for points. So when I show up, I'm there to win. It's just for fun. I say that with the intention of like, hey, I'd like to be doing this. But, you know, it's a different way of racing, a mentality. Whereas when you're racing for points, a championship, like it becomes serious at times and you just have to be ready for that. But I feel like I am I'm more than ready. I, I'm better than the last time I did this by order of magnitude. So I'm excited and sort of giddy to sort of show that and experience it in real time. I love seeing it. I love hearing it. You yeah. sound ready. And <laughs> I've heard you say that. That's one of my favorite quotes I saw come out of your news conference at Martinsville, that you feel like you're a better driver now than you've ever been in your entire life. 100%. I was talking to Brad after the, the announcement at Martinsville during qualifying. Keselowski? Yeah, Keselowski. And he asked me, hey, how'd this come about? And I told him the whole thing, how it came about, whatever. And I, and I turned to him. And, you know, I had just left BKR at the end of twenty mid-2012. Yes. We had a bit of our falling out. I was leaving Penske at the end of 2012. And I said, you know, I'm a way better driver than I was 10 years ago. And he turned to me. He was like, experience helps, doesn't it? I was like, yeah. So <laughs> Was there a little bit of uh, needling there to Brad? Like, hey, man, you gave up on me too early. No, yeah, I don't, okay. not, not right. that too much. <laughs> I, uh, I just thought it was funny to, you know, to talk to a guy who had obviously – saw me very closely as who I was at that time to who I am now, you know, just was like, Hey man, I realize I'm a way better driver yeah. than I was. Well, then. I mean, that so. was more than 10 years ago and next year. So you went from that opportunity to 2013, you ran full-time with KBM. Yes. Right? Yep. And that was your last full-time. Full yeah. It's because 2014, I was supposed to be full-time with Swan, but it folded after nine races and then thus started. Since then, you've just been weird in the wilderness. In the wilderness. <laughs> yeah. No, literally the, the edge of obscurity at all times. No, um, I, and Definitely not. You've become a national media personality. <laughs> You've become one of the best analysts, pit reporters in racing, in my humble opinion. You've become it. a truck series winner. I'm spreading things out, too. You know, I feel like, you know, normally people do their first full season of what time was nationwide, then they do it the next year. Yeah. <laughs> I just decided to take a little nine-year break. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you about. Like, so, I mean, I hear you, like, you've got the giddiness. You've got the enthusiasm, yeah. which I love, yeah. but, but this is, like, a full-time job now. I guess, oh, yeah. You, and you it feels it. You it'll, next year will mark 10 years since the last time you did this full-time. I mean, how much oh, has changed? It's so much different, and there's so much the same. It's so funny. I was, you know, bopping around Mooresville again in a capacity where I feel like, oh, wow, I'm going to be here a lot. That sort of thing. I'm reacclimating friendships down here because I'm going to get a place down here and just like letting people know like, hey, I'll be here. You know, I'll have Tuesday nights or Wednesday night. I'll be doing nothing. Like, hey, you want to hang out? I don't know. (laughs) 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 Hey, friend, remember we used to sim race every night? You want to sim race tonight? I don't have anything better to do. So, but it's funny. I'm trying to approach it where I don't fall into old habits or old ways for sure. I think that's one thing I've made really really big part for me is to like make sure to continue doing the things that have made me that better driver, more successful being out of this bubble, I think was good for me for all those years I have been out of it. Um, but also reacclimating to within it to, with the knowledge of what I learned from being outside of it. Right. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Continuing a lot of my media endeavors for sure. You know, that's one way I want to work that in now understanding my scheduling better, understanding how to do that, understanding the media world, you know, trying to incorporate those things that I don't, that we don't fall behind there as well as I try to, you know, take on the driving side full time. And then also, you know, mentally, I think there's a huge, you know, 90% of this is mental, if not more and success in racing. And I think for me, it's making sure that I'm continuing a positive tr- progression in the mental side that I've been on for the last couple of years. Right. And so whatever I have to do there to make sure that that's happening, you know, would be very key for me. So I want to take what I knew from back then and what I know not to do what I now know what to do and what I don't know. And what I don't know is some of the things and the tools and the pieces and the parts that I just haven't got to experience because I haven't been full-time, right? And I want to be able to take those in and play catch-up with those and learn them quickly while knowing the things I know that I've done better and putting away all the things I know I don't want to do or don't should pass I shouldn't go down. What's something you're definitely not going to do that you do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you can say. Live where I lived, uh, <laughs> be who I was, grow up, basically, is the best way to put it. I laugh so often when I see, and I shouldn't, I don't even name names, like a Noah Gregson, <laughs> who I probably would have been very much a similar personality at the time, but I hid it all. I didn't put it all out there like he did, which probably, probably dis- was my detriment. But I, I think that's the type where I've grown up from being that person. And so I, I laugh when I see those things about, Guys, like, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't dissimilar. You know, I just probably hit it all. <laughs> it was like behind the scenes. So I think I've just been really focused on being who I've become and not falling back to being 
that kind of person. So, and I like, I, you know, it's not like I'm more boring or anything. Like, I feel like I'm actually more fun. I think I'm a cooler person in that sense. But I just, I think I make better decisions now. I know where to put my energy and my time and my focus. And, you know, I know what does and doesn't equal success. And I think that's the, the part where I just, that's the confidence that I have. That I just, I know all that. I know how to drive the race cars. I know how to deal with all the like, ancillary stuff scheduling the media times, you know, how you schedule your life, how you do all that stuff, travel, everything, just deal with it so much better. Relationships, friendships, all those things. It's the unknown part that's really exciting, which is all the tools at my disposal and the idea of having a really supportive owner and sponsors and that sort of thing that want me to be me and to continue doing podcasts and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's a weird – I know that was a very deep – No, that was good. But it, That was really good. But it, it just – it feels like – I hate using second chance because it seems so lame, but it's like I've been able to press start again with the knowledge of everything you've done before, which is very unique, right? Like people might right. say that all the time about their, anything in life, whether it's a business or whatever, like, now, if I've started with all I know now, that would be amazing. I'm literally getting the chance to start <laughs> with all that I know now. Yeah, so, which is a ton. Yeah, it's wild. And some of the coolest things from the announcement, Jimmy Johnson texted me, Kyle Busch texted me, Kevin Harvick stopped me, which was super cool, Mark Martin hit me up uh it was the most amazing names and people of the sport that reached out and you know congratulated me and i just thought like wow i do not want to let them down so <laughs> dale jarrett kyle petty uh all the people steve Lachart who supported me dale jr you know that's the other part that like really pushes me it's, it's not like of course the people that supported me in my early years briggs cunningham bob perona those type people i want to do this for them as well but then it's all the people that i feel like I've gained the respect over the last few years that I'm like, I do not want to let them down. So I'm going to do what it takes to be successful. Well, I don't think anybody would question the fact <laughs> that like you are going to be more appreciative and cognizant of what an opportunity this is for you after everything you've been yeah. through on this incredible journey where we didn't know if you're going to race cars anymore. And I'm glad you brought up Noah because I feel like even just in the last year, we've seen a transition with him. I mean, I was really impressed by how he handled himself the night of the Xfinity Series Championship when he lost it to Ty Gibbs, but he definitely is a different kind of person yeah. now. And I've thought about that a lot since last Saturday. I feel like maybe some young drivers, you kind of have to like grow into your own skin at mm -hmm. the right pace, but with the right timing and opportunities and it's a mix and it, it's yeah. it's there's no like, like my favorite movies is Moneyball because I love the line where he's like to the scout he's like I've seen you sit at those dining room tables and tell them when I know I know your son he's going to be successful yeah. like that sort of thing and I'm like you can't do it in any sport right like you just don't know like these these are young kids I was nine were you when 19 I when you won the pole with Penske or you were, I was yeah. uh, I had just turned 19 okay yes yeah I mean I'm barely a, a human at that point <laughs> like you know like there's just so much being thrown at you yeah. and so much attention and support and the financial side is is wild of what gets put behind you and you just like you see some people are you know I, I'm so impressed sometimes and I've said this before I think on this podcast of like young guys I've seen come through how they handle it knowing how I handled it and I'm like wow, that's really impressive. They're far more mature than I ever was. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I see that all the time. And I think Noah's been really interesting because he's been able to, I think, become more himself. Right. Whatever it is, you know, what he's discovered to be himself, which is this flamboyant, outspoken, wild child-esque personality and putting it out in the public sphere and getting accepted for it. That's a really tough thing to do. You know, that can be taken different ways it can be looked down upon by potential owners and sponsors was what we were all told you know for years and so you just didn't go down that i don't think you had a lot of drivers who were willing to put that so that personality out there and he's been willing to do it and it's it's worked out for him so far i i think cup will be a really hard adjustment yeah, in that sense you know like difficult that's, needle to thread cup series is just is there's no way you, you know i've talked about it, but there's just it's the hardest racing series you'll ever enter in your life it's by far it's not only the competition level the resources, the pressure, but it's just the relentless gauntlet of a schedule that you will be on that just does the second you start to struggle for air, you're seldom allowed to come up, right? Yeah. And so it's just like you have to be on your game every way. And the guys who are successful have patches of struggle, and that makes them even stronger and better. So then they, you know, they've, they've struggled and come back and that's above you from when you're first starting those sorts of things. And I, I look like on Eric Jones, I mean, man, the mental fortitude to stick through that, his Dale Jr. download was so interesting when he talked about getting let go from Gibbs and he was just like set there for 30 minutes. Like, what do I do in my life? Right. Like, what do I do from here? And like to come all the way back to winning 
in the Cup Series. That's incredible. It's amazing. So you kind of touched on it. We're still going to see you on the media side? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, yeah, we're, I'm figuring all that out. I think, you know, it's all sort of a work in progress. It's WIP, TBD. Uh, I don't know what acronym we could use here. But uh, we got to figure it out. I think the intention right now, obviously, is for me to do Sundays uh, on the NBC portion of the season. You know, what that, how many, what that looks like. I think that's fluidity there. And, and everyone at NBC has been so supportive and awesome through this whole process over the years, letting me go drive. That's led to this opportunity. And what I want to figure out is sort of like what that schedule looks like, you know, as doing this full time and sort of what my, at the end of the day, I just don't want to ever be in a position where one, I can't be a hundred percent because one's taking away from the other or something. Right. Sure. And whatever that, whatever that line, I haven't hit that line yet. I will be honest, like even racing, you know, as much as I've done this year or other years, I hadn't hit that line where I felt like I was unprepared on either side, but I just want to make sure that I don't ever hit that. So I'm, that's where I'm hesitant to commit to anything one way or the other, other than to say my intentions are that, but I want to be sure that I'm never in a position where I'm like, Ooh, this is too much. So that's completely understandable. Yeah. Considering, as you said, you're navigating uncharted waters here <laughs> for the first time in 10 years. You don't really know what you don't know at this point, but I'm glad nonetheless that hopefully we'll get to still see you around. At Definitely. Oh, I, NASCAR I will. NBC Cup races. Yeah. That's great. And I'll be available for the NASCAR NBC podcast. You know, Are you sure about that? Cause <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to ask you back. I'm willing. I'm willing to come back. Okay. Don't worry. I'm willing. <laughs> All right. I probably hold you to that. I'll come to your new place here in South End. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here, Parker. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We appreciate Parker Kligerman for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to Motorsports Manager Emily Conboy for coordinating Parker's appearance. And also thanks to Parker for stopping by NBC Sports Charlotte Studios to record in person during his visit to North Carolina. So that's the last episode of the NASCAR NBC podcast for 2022. As always, I appreciate everyone listening and hope that you'll all return again next year. More to come on details about the next episode, but until then, I hope everyone has a great holiday season and a happy new year. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.